0: What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at Joe Orrico 99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where you get all of our new baseball content, whether it be podcasts, articles, news and notes, any updates to our site, or really anything at all baseball-related that we do share out. You will get it there at Ethos Fantasy BB, so make sure you guys drop a follow there. We are ramping up our content right now. And I just posted my first set of projections today on Twitter. That would be at my own personal account, but I did share it out at Ethos Fantasy BB as well. Going to start rolling out. I'm going to try and do one a day, maybe one every other day. Uh, over the next couple of months, and then we'll have all the teams filled out. And then that'll kind of coincide with me also getting the team preview shows getting going uh, in January as well. So go ahead and follow over on Twitter. You guys can take a look at the projections. I'm going to do team by team, and the first team that I put out today was my Toronto Blue Jays. Believe it or not, I decided to start with the team. Uh, I've already been doing these for a while, but I just kind of finalized my first version of Toronto today, so I figured, you know what, I would post that one out, and then I'm going to kind of do that. Uh, every day or every other day. I'm not going to try and hold myself to anything in particular uh, because it is going to get very busy for me starting in the next couple of weeks. But we are going to be uh, putting out those projections. So make sure you guys are following along on the Twitter sphere. We're also going to be doing a lot of work at sportsethos.com, of course. So make sure you guys are checking us out over there. But today we're going to continue where we left off yesterday with relief pitcher reviews. We are going to do numbers 11 through 20 on Yahoo's Ranker. And again, we are not including the starting pitchers who do have relief pitcher eligibility. Not talking Strider. We're not going to talk the guys like uh, Zach Eflin. We skipped over them yesterday. I don't think there's too many guys in this group um, that I did. Actually, I don't think there's really anybody in this group today that I had to skip over because they're a starter. Uh, it was just a clean group of relievers that we are going to be talking about today. There was one guy who actually had some, uh, a few starting appearances this year, I should say. So I'll mention him when we get to him. But we are going to go through 11 to 20. If you want to follow along, go to Yahoo's either app that you have for your league, or you can go to their website and just go to their relief pitcher rankings and you can follow along with us there. It may vary if you're using, like, a, if looking at your points league rankings or something like that, but this is just your standard uh, five by five category league rankings on Yahoo. So we're going to pick it up with Bruce Starr Gratterall. He is number 11 on their list. Again, it will vary if you look at different websites. This was the topic that we ended off with yesterday when we discussed Tyler Holton, who's the reliever for the Tigers, wasn't the sexiest name, didn't have the sexiest season by any means, but he just flew under the radar with excellent production. And that was kind of Dark Gratterall as well, 67 in a third innings pitched. He had four wins and seven saves, which is pretty solid for any reliever who's not like the primary closer. You'll take that. 48 strikeouts in those 67 innings, which no bueno there. That's not great. But a 120 ERA and a .97 whip is what got him to this point. When you're getting that many innings, and again, I really touched on this a lot at the end of yesterday's show, starting from probably about the 50-minute mark or so, uh, talking about Tyler Holden about the value that these guys can have because they're not going to be on a lot of rosters. Holden ended the year 7% rostered on Yahoo, Gratterall 28. Did that fluctuate throughout the year? Sure. But these weren't guys who were hot pickups, and yet they still finished inside of the top 100 based on their rankings argue with the rankings if you want, but, you know, it's not really hard to see how a guy who did chip in kind of across the board, yeah, the strikeouts weren't great, 18.5% strikeout rate isn't really going to get you too far, but he still chipped in 48 strikeouts for you, you know, it's not nothing, if you just started him for the whole year, you would absolutely take that production, those ratios, 120 ERA, .97 whip, like he only gave up nine earned runs the entire season for you, he was excellent, he was absolutely excellent, Accuracy was always good with him as well. That's always been kind of a thing, especially in these last couple of seasons. Uh, the walk rate has been sparkling, 4.7%. So he was able to get by there. I mean, was he actually this good? If you look under the hood, 353 XFIP, 309 XERA, uh, 331 Sierra. He probably shouldn't have had a 120 ERA, but he still was damn good. Even if he did give you a three-something, yeah, he wouldn't be a top 10, top 12 reliever, but still you know, damn valuable for what he's given you, especially if you're talking a 15 team league. This kind of guy can be, and again, it's not going to be Gratterall every year. Gratterall is really good, but he's, you know, relievers do kind of fluctuate. As long as you're not an elite, elite reliever, you can expect quite a bit of fluctuation in terms of ERA and whip and those kinds of things for a guy like Gratterall. And we've seen that in his career. We've seen 309 ERA, we've seen 466, 459, 326, 120. I don't know exactly what it's going to be next year, but it's not to say that you draft Bruce Dargraderall. Now, there is an argument to be made that he is kind of a handcuff if you are talking about a draft champions format. If you, I mean, I think that the Dodgers are going to get Josh Hader. That's becoming – I'm kind of you know, changing my tune on it a little bit because I did think that Texas is the team that really makes sense for him, but the most recent report is that Hader's going to probably go to the Dodgers because he's the only team that has actually been linked with having discussions with Josh Hader. So Hader goes there, that bumps 7 Phillips out of the closer roll, it bumps Gratterall down a notch. It's not great. But if you do want to, you know, if you're in a draft champions format again, and you want to take Gratterall somewhere around where his ADP is, which you're talking, you know, 500 or so, generally speaking, he's gone as high as 287, he's gone as low as 530, you know, I... I don't really have a problem with it because there are potentials for injuries, and this is only in a deep, deep format where I would look at Gratterall specifically. In case there's like if Josh Hader doesn't sign there, then he becomes that much more appealing. In case something happens to Evan Phillips, if there's an injury or if it's performance based, whatever, then Gratterall could end up getting you, you know, ten, fifteen saves next year for pretty much nothing in terms of your draft cost. But he's not somebody that you can target on draft day. There's not really many, if any, relievers. like There's a couple that kind of come to mind. Brian Abreu is one. There's a couple, but there's not really many non-closing relievers that you really need to target in your shallow drafts. This is more for you see a month or two into the season and they're really popping off. They're not giving up any runs. The strikeouts are at least reasonable. Gratterall, it wasn't from the strikeouts, but it was just from that consistency that we had from him, right? His ERA in the first half of the year was 185. In the second half of the year, it was 0.32. It was only one earned run allowed in the final 28 and a third innings of the season for you from Gratterall. The volume is not massive, but one or two of those guys, and again, I talked about this at length yesterday, one or two of these guys on your roster can really go a long way as opposed to trying to find some random guy to stream to keep up with volume and hope for a win, and you're streaming in Kyle Gibson or you're streaming in Michael Kopech, or somebody along those lines, and you're hoping for not a blow-up start. Or you can kind of go for a guy like Gratterall, who month-to-month month was throwing about you know, 12, 10, 12, 11, 10 innings pitched. It's not massive. It's not. But it does help out, and he did show it this year. Not Again, it's not just Gratterall. It is these relievers in general who will pop up, and I guarantee there will be five or ten of these guys who do pop up throughout the season, um, and it, it will vary, right? It could be four, it could be 12, but there will be guys who will become valuable as non-closing relievers. And this year, uh, Gratterall certainly was one of those guys, despite the fact that he had seven saves. Uh, he was still a guy who didn't need to have a closer role to really give you a lot of value. Let's move on and let's talk about number 12, and that's Kevin Ginkle. Similar kind of situation with Ginkle. A good chunk of his value came from the fact that he had nine wins over his 65 innings pitched, four saves, 70 strikeouts, a two forty-eight ERA, and a .98 whip. Kevin Ginkle, there was a time, uh, there was a couple times actually throughout the season, and it was, it was a shit show in Arizona. Anybody who tried to roster Arizona closers throughout the season will remember this not so fondly. Um, that it was kind of a revolving door there. You weren't really sure who was going to get the ninth inning for the Diamondbacks this past season. Uh, it, it did kind of move around until they got Paul Sewald. At that point, it was kind of a done deal that he was going to be the guy getting the save opportunities. But just looking at their at the pitchers that they had, there was, you know, Chafin got a couple opportunities. Uh, I think Manta there was a couple of opportunities for him as well. There were just a lot of different guys. And I could go on, Miguel Castro, and there was just so many different dudes that you weren't really sure who was going to be getting saves. But there was a time, a part part of the season anyway, where it was Kevin Ginkle. He did get you those four saves. He did have really sturdy ratios for you. You know, 248 ERA. Again, despite not having the actual closer job, he gave you a 248 ERA over 65 and a third innings pitched with a sub-1 whip. And he actually came with some decent strikeout numbers. A 27.6% strikeout rate. He gave you 70Ks over his 65 and a third innings. There's really not a lot to say here about Kevin Ginkle. Uh, I don't expect there to be many save opportunities going forward for him. Uh, Paul Sewald should have that job. Now, Ginkle may get the odd opportunity if Sewald needs a day off or something like that, but he's not somebody that you can really be drafting expecting any kind of production. Again, it's kind of similar to Gratterall with maybe a little bit more certainty because you don't have to worry about the potential of Josh Hader coming in. You could take Kevin Ginkle in one of those draft champion formats where he's not going to be going until post-pick 500, and then you think, okay, Seawald, he's not the youngest guy in the world. There's a chance that maybe he's not giving you the greatest production again. He's going to be into his age 34 season next year. There's a chance that you could see Ginkle get a couple of more opportunities than we're expecting, but again, he's not somebody that you're really going to have to be pushing up to draft at all. He's more of a, you know, if you happen to get him, if, if you happen to get him past pick 500, then... He might give you, you know, a few saves. Seawall gets hurt. Seawall doesn't look great. Whatever it is, but he's really not somebody that you can be uh, that you can be kind of expecting too much from. Despite the fact that he did have a good season, you know, it was fairly sustainable numbers. If you look at the FIP, the X FIP, the Sierras of the world, they were like, you know, three forty-five. You're looking three sixty, three fifteen. They were they were solid, but it just the role is not really there for him. And I don't know that he necessarily has closer stuff. But a very good season for him, Yahoo giving him the 73rd ranking on the season. When you're given nine wins, you know, that's a huge, huge number for a reliever to give you to go along with those ratios. But you want to talk about a big win number, Colin Poche. This guy gave you 12 victories on the season. Again, it's very random what you're going to get out of relievers on any given year. But Colin Poche, he did give you a a huge chunk of his value from that number. He had one save. He had 61 strikeouts in 60 and two thirds. So literally you're talking a strikeout per inning there. A two twenty-three ERA and a one zero nine whip. Just really, really solid numbers across the board. Again, he's not somebody that you can make any kind of proper investment in because he's not going to be the closer in Tampa Bay. Uh, he's going to be probably third on the pecking order, I'd imagine. That's what Roster Resource is telling us right now. It's hard to disagree with Fairbanks as the closer, Jason Adam as the kind of first setup guy, and then Poche after him. Uh, you know, He does have the left-handedness going for him where it might be situationally if it does happen to be lining up for the ninth inning. We talked about this yesterday, like if it happens to be the Yankees and you're getting you know, Soto and Verdugo or something like that. And there's certain situations around baseball where it's going to be a couple of tough lefties one after the other. And maybe, maybe Poche gets a save opportunity there. Uh, But again, we're talking about a guy who had one save this year, seven the year prior. I don't think you can really have too high of expectations in that department. But I think overall, you're talking about a a very solid pitcher. Is he as good as he was this year with the two twenty three ERA? He's probably like a high threes, low fours, ERA kind of guy who's going to give you pretty decent strikeout numbers with also not great control. I don't know that there's a lot of sense um, in going after him in a draft. Again, if you really want to talk about like a late, late handcuff, then I don't really have a problem with it. He's not going until like after pick 700. And there have been some health concerns with Pete Fairbanks, Jason Adam. Who knows what he's looking like over the course of a whole season as a closer. Maybe he holds up, maybe he doesn't then there is a a path for Poche to get some saves. But I I just can't see him as being somebody that you really have to target. Uh, Again, I could see some people looking at last year's win total and saying, oh, you know what, that could be uh, something really big for me. And he was taken as a minimum pick of 437. I think that's probably just somebody looking at that win total and kind of thinking, well, if he gave me 12 last year, he can give me like 8 or 9 or maybe even 10 this year. I just don't think you can really expect that with a reliever. It's pretty much, honestly, pure dumb luck at that point. But let's move on, and let's talk about number 14. That's Matt Strom. Matt Strom. There was a pretty funny meme going around with him a couple months ago where they had Photoshopped him and Nicolas Cage, or they put Nicolas Cage's face onto Matt Strom's body with the Phillies uniform on. Anyway, it was pretty funny if you guys saw it. I shared it out on Twitter when it happened a couple months ago. But Matt Strom was excellent, absolutely excellent in Philadelphia this season. He started 10 games. He appeared 46 other times out of the pen. He had nine wins for you. He had two saves. He had a three twenty nine ERA, and I think the most impressive part of it was his 24.8 strikeout minus walk percentage. Nearly 31 on the strikeout rate, 30.8, and a 6% walk rate. He was just phenomenal. One zero two 0 2 whip. Uh, he was just honestly one of the bigger surprises of the fantasy season. He was a guy that you could kind of just have on your roster throughout the year, um, and he came through for you. Uh, As a starter, as a reliever, he wasn't going to be giving you many saves. There was two spread out throughout the season. But whether he was starting, which didn't happen a ton, especially down the stretch, he was a guy who was being used pretty much exclusively out of the pen. I'm trying to see when his last – actually, he started um, the last game of the year and threw one inning. He was an opener. Um, But there was a time earlier in the year where he was giving you five innings, five and a third, five and a third. Uh, There wasn't a ton of them, to be fair, but like we saw it against Colorado, five and a third, 11 strikeouts. Um, You know, against Miami, five shutout innings, six strikeouts. There was a few times where he was starting, and if you streamed him, if you happened to have him on your roster to begin with, then he looked really, really good for you. Now, I don't know necessarily what the role is going to look like for him. I'd have to imagine that he's probably going to be a reliever next year. I, I can't see him getting too many starts. And now there's a possibility, right? The, I, they used him kind of as a starter this year as well. Um, so who really is to say what Philadelphia is going to do in the long run. But I think, again, he's probably going to be a guy that is more of, you know, you asked to do an inning here and inning there. Maybe he gets an odd start. And I just can't see that being a very valuable profile. Again, The strikeout minus walk rate is incredibly appealing. And I think that there is a chance that if they did try and stretch him out a little bit more, then he could potentially, you know, go back to being more of a starter. Because he has been, you know, a starter here and there throughout his career. He's made 35 starts. It was 16 of them in 2019. Kind of hard to judge any pitcher on their stats from 2019, just because it was such a, you know, a a batter-friendly environment. But again, we saw what he just did this season – And he's projected right now as like you know a middle reliever for them in the in terms of the pecking order in the bullpen. According to roster resource, which is on Fangraphs, if you guys are unfamiliar, Jose Alvarado projected as the closer, followed by Jeff Hoffman, Gregory Soto, Sir Anthony Dominguez, and then Matt Strom in the pecking order. You know you got Kirkering back there as well, who a lot of people really like. I don't know that there's really going to be that much fantasy value in Strom, even though he was really really good this year. I think it was just a lot of things happened to go right for him. That you can't really necessarily expect going forward. He's not somebody that you're going to have to invest in, and again, somebody took him pretty high up. His minimum pick is three hundred and two, which doesn't sound too high, but in the grand scheme of things, considering the role and considering what you know historically we've seen out of Matt Strom, I don't know that there's really going to be a hell of a lot of fantasy juice there. So he's going to be somebody where you know you can kind of look at and say, well, maybe he could be a handcuff, but you know he had two random saves this year they got Soto, who has experience closing. Dominguez has shown experience closing as well. Uh, They like Hoffman. Alvarado, I think, is going to be an excellent closer to begin with. So I just don't really see the path for an opportunity for Matt Strom this year. I think he'll kind of just be a utility guy out of the pen, and he's not going to be somebody that has really a a ton of fantasy value for you. Could be wrong there uh, because the skills are a lot better than you know, what you would think just based on looking at the pecking order here, but they got Wheeler, Nola, Ranger Suarez, Taiwan Walker, and Christopher Sanchez. That rotation is staying intact. You know, all things, you know, as far as we know right now, that rotation is staying intact. I don't think there's going to be any Yabamoto for them or any other massive Blake Snell type moves or anything there. I think this is what we're looking at. So again, a few spot starts, maybe 40, 45 relief appearances, and you're probably looking at a similar kind of thing to last year. Now, you're going to say he had that value last year. Why can't he do it again? It's really tricky for a middle reliever, even with these kind of skills to carry fantasy value. And I know a lot of you guys are in 10- and 12-team leagues. If you're playing in a 15-team draft champions format, then yeah, there is there is definitely value in having a Matt Strom. You're going to be at a point later on in the season where you need to have a start. You need to have somebody. You just throw in your lineup, and it might be Strom. He might be getting a spot start. He might just even be you know, due for some relief innings and gives you three, four, five Shutout innings of six or seven strikeouts throughout the course of the week, and then you're essentially looking at a start in that regard. So there is value in a deep, deep format, especially where you can't make pickups throughout the season. That's where I like Matt Strom. But if you're talking about your 12-team Yahoo League where 270 people, 300 people are drafted, then there's not really any room to put him on your roster Now, let's move on. Let's talk about a juicy name. We've talked about four guys who were just kind of oddly placed here. Five in a row, if you go back to yesterday with Holton. With Holton, uh, Gratterall, Ginkle, Poche, and Strom, these were not guys that you were drafting terribly high up. They were not guys that really had high expectations. Maybe some people thought Gratterall would be the closer coming into the season for the Dodgers. But overall, that group of guys, there wasn't a lot of expectations coming in at all, right? And yet they were all... Top 100 players, and even if you want to say, well, you know, I don't trust Yahoo's ranking. I don't think they were top 100 players. It's hard to value just based on what we've read out here, the stat lines of all of these guys that you wouldn't have taken that production on your team. You definitely had somebody worse than even Strom, who is the worst of that bunch. Nine wins, two saves. You got a 3.29 ERA from him. You got a 1.02 WHIP, and in terms of raw strikeouts, you got 108 from a guy that you could put in the starting pitcher slot in your lineup. You could put in a relief pitcher slot in your lineup. There's a hell of a lot of value there. And that all goes back to my point of it doesn't necessarily need to be I'm taking Hater and Diaz this year and I'm taking Romano later on and I really want to secure saves. I've done that before. I did it in my home league last year. I had four closers and yeah, I won it was a head-to-head league. I won saves every single week. But, you know, depending on your format, you can probably get away with taking like two closers and then speculating on one guy later. Or even honestly, taking one guy who is kind of an established stud name, whether it's going to be a Hater, a Romano, a Bednar, Alexis Diaz, whoever it is, and then maybe speculating on a guy later on, whether it's Fairbanks, Alzalite, and then just kind of see what the waiver wire throws you. Because honestly, you might get enough saves from those first couple of guys where you're thinking, all right, I'm already going to have seven, eight, nine roto points in the save category. There's not really much of a need for me to spend high draft capital on another one when I can use this to get an outfielder, which is really sparse, or I can get a second baseman, third baseman, a starting pitcher. There's a lot of different ways you could use that draft capital as opposed to using it on a high leverage reliever when you can find these guys on the waiver wire. All these guys that I just mentioned, they're all waiver wire guys from this past season. For the most part, maybe a couple people drafted Gratterall, you know, but that's pretty much it. You, know, you, you were getting these guys for free, and they all gave you great value. That's all to say... Don't be closed-minded in terms of relief pitchers. There are a lot of strategies that can go ahead and work for you. But let's move on and let's talk about number 15 on the list. He would be as high as maybe 8 if you looked at different rankings. It's Emmanuel Classe. Emmanuel Classe, you would think this is absurd that he is ranked 15. He should be a lot higher. Look at the amount of saves he gave you. And yeah, the saves were really excellent, 44 saves. But other than that, it wasn't an amazing season from him, especially considering he was being drafted in some cases. Especially after Diaz went down as the number one closer, you're coming off of three seasons where it was a two thirty one, one twenty nine, and one thirty six ERA, and then it was above three this year for the first time. It was a three twenty two ERA from him. He didn't strand as many base runners as he t- as he typically had, only sixty percent as opposed to his usual seventy five or so, seventy three. And the BABIP, which had usually been between 220 and 280, was 295. So overall, it just wasn't as great of a season. You add on top of that his strikeout rate, which already wasn't exceptional from a relief pitcher from a closer, 26, 28 percent. It's it's good. It's very good, but it wasn't you know closer esque necessarily in years past. This year, it was 21.2 percent. It got to the point where we got 72 and two thirds innings out of him which was the exact same as last year, and we reduced the strikeout number by 13. He went from 77 down to 64. So the strikeout rate went down. The walk rate went up. It's still sparkling at 5.3, but it went from 3.7 up to 5.3. That's not bad at all. It's still very, very good. But again, you're talking about six more walks in the same number of innings. It was a worse season for him. So even with those 44 saves, you didn't have the ERA working in your favor at 3.22 as much. You had the whip at 1.16, in part because that walk rate went up, in part because he was allowing more hits. And you only got three victories out of him. And I know three victories is fine for a relief pitcher, but in terms of we're talking actual earned dollars, in terms of earned value from last year you're not really going to be able to compete with some of these relievers <clears throat> who were able to put up 9, 10 wins and a sub-3 ERA, even if they only had a few saves. The 44 saves was obviously huge, and that's why he is still you know, a fairly high-ranked player, 87 in terms of you know total ranking according to Yahoo. But it wasn't quite that same elite-level season from Emmanuel Clase that we were probably hoping for and definitely expecting based on where you took him. There were some leagues where he probably went in the second round, definitely went in the second round, And it didn't really turn out to be worth it. Now, in terms of this year, I don't really have much in terms of concern for A. He's shown to be kind of recession-proof as a closer in that the fact that even though he's pitching for a shithouse team, he's still going to be able to get you a lot of saves. I don't know if it'll be 44 again. It was 42 and then 44. So you might say, well, you know, he's done it a couple times in a row. you got to be a little more conservative, I think, in the projection for saves because you got to kind of, you know, You can't be projecting 55 or 50 saves for anybody. you got to kind of skim it down a little bit, right? You might say, well, 42 and 44, if the Guardians get even a little bit better, you're talking a 50-save season. It doesn't usually, it almost never works like that. I think you're probably talking 35 to 40 saves is probably what you're actually going to get, and that'll probably be what my projection ends up looking like, maybe 34, 35 saves from him. The strikeout rate, the projections think it'll come back up a little bit, but they also think the walk rate is going to go up to 6.6, which would be a career high I think we're looking at about a 25% K rate, which again is not exceptional for your closer, especially if you're taking him as your number one closer, which, you know, if you're drafting Emmanuel Class A, you're taking him as your number one closer. He's going off the board as the number four guy behind Devin Williams, behind Josh Hader, and behind Edwin Diaz. And in terms of Hader and Diaz, it's a three, two and a half pick difference in reality between 43.3 for Hader and 46 for Classe. So they're, You know, Classe is going as high as the number two, maybe potentially with Devin Williams only at 37, might even be going as high as the number one closer in certain drafts. And I just don't know if you necessarily need to be doing that with how we've talked about the different ways you can build out your closer pool with the way you can build out your relievers. I don't know that Emmanuel Classe really should be in that conversation for number one reliever. He's not being drafted as the number one, but he's within that range where some people might just take him number one, based on the raw save totals the last couple of years. But if I'm using that kind of draft capital on a closer, I wanna be guaranteeing or pretty close to guaranteeing I'm getting like between eighty and hundred strikeouts at least. Not that I'm getting sixty four strikeouts from him. You know, that's that's a huge L, not a huge L, but it's just, it's a huge blow to take to your team if you're taking him in the second or the third round. And based on ADP, you know, his minimum pick here Right now, is 24. Now, if I take away the Gladiator drafts, which can kind of skew ADP sometimes, if I just look at the draft champions, it's 25. Like, that's still a second-round pick in a draft champion for Emmanuel Classe. I just don't think you need to be doing it. I think there are better ways that you can compete across the board. People kind of overvalue saves. They're one category. Yes, they're an important category that's hard to find on the waiver wire, hard to find in a DC for sure. You kind of have to just speculate right but they're also not a category that you need to be pushing up a guy so much when he doesn't do a hell of a lot else for you. If the ratios are in question again and you get a 1.2 whip and a 3.3 ERA from Class A, that's not great. And that's kind of what we're seeing in terms of the projections here. 3.15 ERA and a 1.17 whip. That's not really ideal, especially not in the second round. So for me, honestly, it's going to be a pass on Emmanuel Class A at this point. Much as I like the guy, just can't get around to taking him where he's going. But let's move on to number 16 on the rankings, and that is Rizel Iglesias. Rizel Iglesias gave you, honestly, a good season, a really good season, but the way that he was talked about this year, I think it was kind of, I don't know, he was maybe overhyped a little bit. I think everybody was real excited about Atlanta and full-time closer, and he was excellent, but I don't know. I think that people kind of were talking about him as like a top three or top four relief pitcher a lot of the time, and he, he wasn't. He was like, you know... Even if you want to disregard some of the Ginkles and Poches and Stroms and whatnot, he still was like maybe inside the top 10 there. He wasn't better than Batista or Williams or Tanner Scott or Bednar or Hayter or Diaz or Phillips. You could probably say he was like the 10th or 11th reliever, and I just think people were were kind of talking about Iglesias like he was a top-five guy. Not to take anything away from him. He gave you 33 saves, 5 wins, a 2.75 ERA, a 1.19 whip. Really good numbers in terms of raw strikeouts. You got 68 of them because it was only 55 innings pitched from him. He did miss a bit of time at the beginning of the year. It was a really good season. Again, no no hate whatsoever. He's really, really an excellent reliever. He's an excellent pitcher. But I just thought he was a little bit, little bit overhyped uh, last season. No, no judgment at all on those who did want to hype him up because he was really good, but I just think it kind of got a little bit out of hand. But either way... I like him a lot. He's the closer. He is the undisputed closer for what is likely the best team in baseball. I, you, know, you can make the Dodgers' argument, and the, you know, the Dodgers have a good case, but the Dodgers don't really have a hell of a lot of pitching at this point. That's likely to change uh, over the next few days. You might, might even change by the time you guys are hearing this damn thing with the way they're pursuing everybody. But as of right now, uh, the Braves are pretty damn close to being considered the best team in baseball. And Iglesias is going to be the guy who is going to be getting the majority of those save opportunities, probably 90-plus percent of them, you'd have to say. They have an excellent bullpen, so they can play matchups, they can do things. But you're still thinking 30-plus saves, you're still thinking you're going to get you know your 30-percent strikeout rate, or roughly 30-percent strikeout rate. 29.9 for the career, 29.4 this year it was a low going back to 2018. But it's not anything I don't think to be really concerned about. The strikeout minus walk rate was also a low going back uh, to 2019. But I'm not reading too, too much into it as a whole. I think that Razal Iglesias is still a very safe draft pick. Now, we talked about him a little bit yesterday. He's going at pick 62 on average. 43 is the minimum. 95 is the maximum. I don't have any problem with him in the fifth round. I think that's totally fine. You know, you're not taking one of those high-priced guys, second, third, fourth round. You're kind of waiting to get past the early hump of closers, which are, are very good closers, you know, Williams and Diaz and Classe and Hayter and Doval. But you're not spending up, up, you know, you're spending a fifth instead of a fourth or a third. So I can definitely get behind it. You're securing 30 saves. You're securing probably very good ratios for yourself to go along with everything else that you're getting out of uh, Raziel Iglesias. The projections seem to think we're going to get a 359 ERA. I think that's probably expecting it to go too high. You know, it hasn't been that high in a long time. I think you're pretty safe to think that you're getting a sub three or very close to three ERA from Iglesias. That whip was also up for the first time and in quite a while. I think you're probably going to see it go to like 1.1, 1.15 kind of range, not stay at 1.2 again. So I, I think you're really safe going with Iglesias in the fifth round here. Um, let's talk about number 17. We'll go back to a guy who is not a closing reliever per se, But that's Brian Abreu. And Brian Abreu was one of the few relief pitchers this year who was able to give you 100 strikeouts, which is obviously a huge part of the value. 72 innings pitched, three wins, five saves, 100 strikeouts on the dot, a 175 ERA, and a 104 whip. You got to love it. You absolutely got to love what Brian Abreu was able to bring to the table. You also got to think about the fact that, well, Ryan Presley is not getting any younger. Ryan Presley, there are some people who are kind of worried about what his workload is going to look like as he continues to get older. I'm not like terribly concerned about it. I think that Presley is still going to be the guy. But hell, we're talking about handcuffs. I don't think there is a better closer handcuff you can take than Brian Abreu. He's going to be a little more <clears throat> excuse me, he's going to be a little more expensive than probably some of the other closer handcuffs at 315 on the ADP. Uh, 273 minimum, 377 maximum. But again, like you're getting, even if he isn't the guy that ends up taking over for Presley, which is, is probably pretty likely. Presley's already 35 years old. I think you're still getting a pretty secure profile in what you see uh, out of Brian Abreu. Again, those 100 strikeouts, that is a huge number to get. The ERA, yeah, is it going to be this good every year? Probably not at 1.75, but it was 1.94 last year. He's shown that he can put that number up over the course of a full season. In terms of actual earned runs, it's only 27 allowed over the last two seasons, 132 innings. Like, he is really, really excellent. He's good at suppressing the home runs. He's good with the strikeout numbers. Now he walks too many batters, eleven percent of batters. But I think you can kind of work around that for fantasy purposes, considering everything else he gives you. Especially again, similarly to Iglesias, the team is just so strong that there are going to be more wins and there are going to be more save opportunities, even if uh, Presley is the main guy, which he probably is going to be. Abreu is still somebody who will have a lot of value. Somebody that I gotta be targeting in a lot of leagues going at pick three fifteen. It's just not a cheap. It's not an expensive price to be paying considering what you're probably going to be able to expect out of a Brayu, You know, he, he's a very safe, out of all the non-closing relievers, he's about the safest one I think that you can find. But let's move on. Let's talk about number 18, and that is my boy Jordan Romano. Obviously got to love Jordan being Canadian. He's Canadian. He pitches for the Blue Jays. It's a match made in heaven for me. Obviously love the guy. There's always this talk in Toronto with certain people on radio shows that if you are a Toronto person, you'll know who I'm talking about here most likely. People always try and say that Jordan Romano can't be a closer, that he's not a closer, that Jays need to bring in somebody else. We've seen three full seasons of it now, of him being the closer, and even partially going back to 2020 where he showed glimpses as well, where he's been excellent, throwing you know a full closer workload every year, and you're looking at 23 saves in 2021, 36 last year and 36 uh, this year. You're looking at 214, 211, and 290 ERA. You're looking at kind of a bad 2023 year, which is maybe where you, you, know, you say, okay, it wasn't the best season for him, and even that with that, it was still a 290 ERA. You look under the hood a little bit, it was a 352 Sierra, which is not amazing, 346 FIP, 330 XERA. It wasn't amazing for Jordan Romano, but it was still pretty decent damn solid for what you took, right? Five wins, he got 36 saves. In terms of raw strikeouts, he got 72 of them in 59 innings. It's hard to be disappointed with that, considering Romano, again, was not a guy that you had to take in the elite, elite tier of closers. He kind of came in that second grouping, and that's what we're seeing again this year, if not even into closer, like the third grouping, going at pick 67. He's going even later than Bednar and Alexis Diaz and Ryzel Iglesias and Juwan Duran and all these guys. He's pretty much going at the same pick as Alexis Diaz, but he is later by ADP. Uh, Diaz is generally going a couple picks earlier, but they're both like 67, 68. Regardless, he's not somebody you're paying up for, Jordan Romano. You're getting a guy who's going to be closing games. He is the closer. Absolutely, he is the closer. You can go check out my Blue Jays projections today. Again, go check out my Twitter, and you'll see them. Romano's the closer. It's undisputed. There's no question about that. You're getting 30 saves. You're getting good strikeouts, and you're getting probably a sub-3 ERA from him again. I have no problem at all, zero, taking him in the fifth round, which is right where he's going, right in the middle of the fifth round. Minimum pick of 51, which is somewhere in the you know middle of the fourth round. I don't hate it, and that kind of depends on the draft. You know, If you're seeing a lot of closers go off the board, it's very understandable and very common to kind of panic and take one as well, so I don't see there being much of a problem with him at 51. At 88, not really much of a problem with that either, obviously, Uh, You're getting him very late at that point. I don't know how he would have fallen to 88. Generally speaking, you're not seeing that. Um, But there was a couple of drafts where Jordan Romano, if you're looking at like the grand scheme of everything, all the drafts, where he went outside of the top 100. So maybe there are some people, and it's not happening a lot. Mind you, it's only a couple times that's happened. But maybe there are people who are kind of worried about the role. I'm telling you right now, as a Blue Jays fan, as a Toronto guy, as a fantasy baseball guy, there is no need to worry about Jordan Romano. He is a Blue Jays closer. The skills are good. He is a talented, incredibly talented closer. And I think that he is going to be one of the nicer bargains considering where he's going closer to pick 70. I really like that. He's kind of the end of the tier there of closers. And, you know, everybody else will take their guys, their Diazes and their Bedners and whatnot, which are are great arms. We talked about them yesterday. But you can get Romano a little bit cheaper and it's a comparable production. Then I'm going to be doing that uh, pretty much every single time here. Let's talk about another Astros reliever who remarkably was not Ryan Presley and who remarkably, again, uh, gave you better production than Ryan Presley here, according to Yahoo. Again, it does kind of vary depending on where you look. Ryan Presley was about 12 spots lower, and he's about four relievers lower than this guy we're going to talk about. But that's the way that it shook out for you this year. It was Hector Norris. Hector Norris was another guy who was just a rock for you at the back end of that bullpen. Six wins, Again, not the back back end, but you know, you, you guys know what I mean. A leverage reliever, back end of ball games, sixth, seventh, eighth inning. Six wins he gave you, two saves, a one seventy one ERA, a one zero five WHIP, and over the sixty eight innings pitched, you got seventy seven strikeouts from him. It's really hard to ask for more than that. That's just <clears throat> like you know, for a non closing reliever again, and two of them on the same team, giving you kind of the same season. It's hard to ask for more than that out of a waiver wire pickup. You know, there were times when you were kind of speculating on him, thinking that he was going to get the closer job. Even though he didn't, he was still somebody who, again, was just ranked inside of the top 100 here at number 92. Hector Nerese is a free agent now, and he was kind of overshooting his metrics anyway last year, 445 XFIP. You know, it's 389 Sierra. He was still, he's still fine. Uh, but not somebody like Abreu, where I'd really want to be drafting him, especially because he's a free agent. I have no idea where Nariz is going to go. He's going to get a job after this year that he just had for sure. I'm not sure what the role is going to be though, and I don't think it'll be a closer role unless he goes to a team like I don't think that the the A's have a closer. Maybe they have a closer. I don't know. Maybe he goes there uh, and gets a role, and we'll talk about that if it were to happen. That's completely random, not even a guess. Just you know, if he were to go to a team like that, then he'd have some kind of value probably. As of right now, though, he's just another example of guys to look at on the waiver wire who are not going to be high-value targets, not going to cost a lot of FAB or waiver priority, but are still going to be valuable fantasy assets for you. Let's wrap it up with number 20 here and talk about Juwan Duran. I've heard his name pronounced so many different ways over the course of the last couple seasons. I've heard some people say Joan. I've heard some people say Johan. I I honestly don't know. I, I honestly don't know. Let's. I, I feel like it's Johan, but I honestly, like, listening to four different people pronounce it, you'll hear four different ways a lot of the time. Either way, he is one of the more talented relief pitchers in all of baseball. He gave you 62 innings pitched last year, 27 saves, three victories for you, a 245 ERA, a 1.14 whip, and over his 62 and a third innings pitched, he gave you 84 strikeouts. Just a really incredible season from Duran again. It was very frustrating in 2022 to watch him not be the full-time closer. Still giving you great fantasy value, 186 ERA. He still had eight saves. He was still doing amazing things for you, but it was very nice to see him do that as the full-time guy this year gave you 27 saves. You're probably hoping for a few more. And again, it's just random variance with closers. It's not like the skills are any worse than for him than a guy who had 40 saves. Like, I think he's a better pitcher than Emmanuel Closet. Classe had 17 more saves on a worse team within the same division. It's really random. And you could split hairs, and you might want to say that is better, but it's pretty damn close, and it's not a 17-save gap if you're just using that to determine the value here. But Duran... Is a very safe guy. We have talked about his kind of draft range. You're going to be spending in that same kind of range where you're getting Iglesias and you're getting, I mean, a little bit after Doval, but kind of the same range as Iglesias and Bednar and Diaz. You're paying 59 on the ADP, 42 on the minimum, 92 on the maximum. Hard to argue, you know, even at the end of the fourth round, beginning of the fifth round. He'd be a nice turn pick there to pair with somebody else. Probably you lock up some saves and something else because, you know, probably with that ADP you're not going to be getting another chance to take him and you're not going to be drafting anybody for a while so locking down a closer who is going to be a potential uh, 100 strikeout guy that is definitely in the cards for Duran you know we've seen him throw 67 and 62 innings pitched these last couple years and hit 89 and 84 strikeouts I don't think it would be much of a stretch to think that he can be a guy who does give you 100 strikeouts and 30 saves to go along with a couple wins and good ratios for you uh, it's hard to find much better than that on the market. So Durand is definitely going to be a target end of the fourth or depending on your your league size. You know, it might be fifth round range. It might be sixth round range, but around that pick 60 ish mark might get pushed up a little bit as we head into the new year. But I'm very, very comfortable taking a chance on him there. But that will do it. <clears throat> relief pitcher show number two is in the books tomorrow. We will look at some guys who were not. I'm actually still kind of figuring this out. We might do four relief pitcher shows. I'm still kind of figuring it out. Either way, we're going to talk some more relievers tomorrow. I shouldn't commit to one thing or the other until I've properly figured it out. But either way, check us out on social media. Go take a look at those projections. We'll have some more up over the next either day or two. Uh, go ahead, Joe Rico, ninety nine. Go follow us there and at Ethos Fantasy BB. If you're not somebody who uses social media. Sportsethos.com is the place for you guys to be checking out. But until tomorrow, guys, take care, have a great night, and cheers.